I teach down at the Bible college. I teach Bible study and Greek and apologetics and history. I'm kind of like the, the cleanup guy. They just kind of shoved me in all these classes, but it's been really good, and I enjoy it. And so this week, when I was thinking about, well, what are we going to do? What should we talk about? Well, life is more than a game, right? That's what we're saying. And so this week, there's a guy who really, really treated life like a game to see if he could win it, to see if he could really enjoy it and make it meaningful, and his name is King Solomon. Now, you're probably familiar with Solomon. He was the wisest king who ever lived, and as God gave him wisdom, he thought to himself, I'm going to test my heart with pleasure, wine, women, gardens. He basically said, I'm going to say yes to everything. <clears throat> I'm not going to say no to anything, and I'm going to see what of these things are actually valuable and meaningful. The time he got to the end of his test, he realized it's all vanity, it's all empty. And then he pens the book of Ecclesiastes and the book of Proverbs and the book of Song of Songs. So we're going to be in his wisdom this week. We're going to let him teach us to be wise. Today we're going to talk in Ecclesiastes 7, and it's going to be a little heavy. We're going to talk about death. I don't want you to like get all anxious. But it's interesting. In our culture, we don't talk about death. We avoid it or we trivialize it. So if you watch any action movies, death is like the joke. Okay, most things like video games, the, the cool video game when I was growing up and I was when I grew up, we walked both ways to school uphill in the snow. You know, you've heard old people say that. And I'm 42. So that makes me like ancient, I think, to most of you. The cool game was Mortal Kombat. And you understand <laughs> most of you are, who aren't gamers are like, huh, it's this fighting game. And the whole reason it was popular is not because the graphics were good. It was like 16 bit. It's basically like big pixels and not because the the control was good. It was like hard to control. It was cool and everyone wanted to play it because you ripped heads off of people. Like you just ripped the head off or you ripped their arms off. It was like totally gratuitously violent. And I loved it. it. Says something about my soul, okay? And so we trivialize death. Uh, we either trivialize it or we avoid it. So today we're going to talk about death. Tomorrow we're going to talk about the foolishness of temptation and we're going to be in Proverbs chapter 1. The day after that, we're going to talk about when it's too late for wisdom. Because there's actually a time when it's, it doesn't matter if you want to be wise, it's too late. And wouldn't you want to know what that point is so you can be wise before that? And then finally on, on Thursday, I get my days mixed up, the last day we're together, whatever day that is, Friday, we're going to talk about how to pursue wisdom. So death, temptation, too late for wisdom, and then pursuing wisdom. So let's go ahead and pray, and then we're going to read a, a good chunk of Ecclesiastes 7, and then I'll start off, I might do this more this week, but I'll start off telling you about something stupid that I did one time. I've done a lot of stupid things, so I've got a lot of material here. All right, let's go ahead and pray. Father, we love you. God, you are wonderful. Lord, I pray for us this week. I pray that your word would work inside of us. It would work in our mind and our thoughts and our desires and our emotions. I pray, Lord, that the word would correct us and rebuke us. I pray that the word would instruct us. I pray that for those who are here who don't really ever study the Bible and they're maybe not even into this Christian thing, Lord, I pray that they would see the power of this book, more powerful than any other book, oddly uh, effective when we read it because, Lord, it's your word. You are our maker. You are our creator. And so what it says is true. And I pray, Lord, that this week it would be valuable and effective in our lives. 
pray that you help me, Lord, to be clear. And I pray that you'd help us to all have quick minds and attentive hearts. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Ecclesiastes 7. Side note, um, in high school I walked through like a period of, I'm going to use the word, but I wasn't clinically diagnosed. But I was kind of depressed, sorrowful. I was down. I was blue. Like whatever you want to say. I was bummed. And I remember trying to solve that problem. Getting the next video game, doing the next thing, hanging out with the friends more. And none of that really solved the problem. And I remember distinctly one time reading Ecclesiastes for fun and walking away like, oh, that was good. Like, you know when you're out playing a game or something and you're exhausted and you're really thirsty? You know what it's like when you take that first drink of water and it's just what you needed? Ecclesiastes was like that for me in high school. And I'd talked to other people who said, oh, it's a dark book, oh, it's really down. But man, it, was, it, it did something for me, and I think I can help you to understand what it does. Chapter 7. A good name is better than precious ointment. The day of death than the day of birth. It's better to go into the house of mourning than to go into the house of feasting. For this is the end of all mankind, and the living will lay it to heart. Sorrow is better than laughter, for by sadness of face, the heart is made glad. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of the fool is in the house of mirth. It's better for a man to hear a rebuke of the wise than to hear the song of fools. For crackling under the thorn of thorns under the pot, so is the laughter of the fools. This also is vanity." You could keep reading in this chapter. It's really, really good. But when I looked at all that I wanted to cover, I think just the first six verses is all that we need. So today I want to talk to you about uh, the wisdom of turning on the clicker. There we go. I want to talk to you about the wisdom that death teaches us. The wisdom that death will teach you. Uh, okay, here's the story, the embarrassing story. I don't know if you have this problem. <clears throat> How many of you can drive? I've got to figure that out. Okay, a bunch of you, okay. So those of you who can't drive, sit back and learn from my stupidity, all right? Just, I, I'm, please, I got a history here. I've cartwheeled a car. I'll tell you that story sometime this week. I've, I've gotten tickets for speeding. Not very many, but they were always awkward. I've, I've just done a couple of things. Not terrible, but, but one day, as is often the case, I was rushing out the door as a 19-year-old. I, I generally, like, push, I'm kind of a... Sometimes I struggle with lateness. Anyone who's been in my class, shut up. Okay? Don't you say anything. All right? It is challenging getting there at 7 a.m. All right. So, uh, but I just have this thing where, man, that first appointment I'm always pushing. I just, I want to say it's got excuses, but it's me. It's me. And so in high school, when I'd leave, I would often be rushing out the door. And my mom and dad would always tell me, slow down as you back out of the driveway. Slow down. You got to be more careful. And I'm like, okay you know, flying down the driveway. Now I'm backing up. Now I did know at least good enough to turn around and look. Okay. So now I'm out of high school. I'm at college. I've met my wife. We're not married yet. We're dating. We're not even engaged yet. So yeah, that was pretty quick. Um, so anyways, I'm backing out at my parents' house. I can't remember why I was over there. And I have a Pontiac Sunbird. It's this like trashy little car, but it, it was a manual transmission. Okay. They don't even hardly make those anymore. So I jam that thing in reverse hit the gas, go, and vehicles can only take so much punishment. And my, my gear shift goes, 
like right in the middle, and, I, and I, this should not do that. So I'm thinking to myself, did, did the transmission just do something wrong? Did something break? Okay, and I remember I'm like half turned, and I'm like, why did this thing just jiggle really bad? And I turn, and here's my mother, and I can't hear her because the window's up, and she's going, and oh man, I'm thinking my transmission just fell on the ground. Or something under my car is like, there's oil everywhere. But it's weird. If you saw someone whose car's broken, you would have like concern trying to stop them. You wouldn't have rage. Man, she looks angry. She, why is she mad at this car? It's really, I couldn't figure this out. This is all in like a half a second. But you know how your mind works in these moments. And then as I'm looking out the window, I, I see her and I immediately put it in, in neutral and hit the brake. And then this tan, fuzzy blur goes shooting out from under my driver's door straight to my mom. And that's when I understood the rage. I had run over Maggie, my dog. She was fine. She didn't even get injured. <laughs> well, I don't know. We didn't take her to the doctor or anything or the vet or whatever. But that little was me hitting my dog. And my dog probably rolling seven to eight times under the vehicle. Because, I mean, I'd hit it, and then I'm, I'm back a good ten feet when I, by the time I stop. And then she rolls out. Like, I don't know. So that was the look on my mom's face. And she was okay. But I wasn't. I don't remember what happened. I didn't get grounded. When I cartwheeled my car, I got grounded indefinitely. That's, a, that's a fun. You know, it's one thing if you're like grounded for weeks or months, but when it's like it's indefinite, you're like, oh, my life's over. This is horrible. So now, you would think that would help me, right? You would think that should have made me wise and should have made me slow down. Apparently, I didn't like my dog that much because it didn't work. Now I'm 32 years old. Move forward. Just bought a house, okay? I'm not in an apartment with like a parking lot. I'm in a house with a driveway, and I'm teaching at Faith, and it's probably close to when a class began. And so I have my truck in reverse, and I, now I know to look, okay? And so I look quickly, and I back out, and when I get parallel, you know where your car straddles the sidewalk, I can see down the sidewalk, I can see the stop sign, and then I turn to look the other direction, and I can't see anything. Because there's this elderly man, six inches from my window, who is out for a walk. I'm not kidding, he's here and he's just... Have you ever, I don't know what it is, those moments where you do something really stupid and all your innards go, <laughs> I like, I think I almost fainted. I'm looking in the eyes, and now this is where the funny story gets more serious. I'm looking in the eyes of an old man who, had he been less old and a little quicker, would have been under my tire. I literally almost could have killed him. Now, sorry to go from like, ha, 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 to dead old man, okay? But in all seriousness, that's what it took for me to get wise. Now, I'm, I mean, you understand, I thought I was doing everything right. I had looked, I was going to look again, and somehow I had just not quickly looked to this side well enough because I was in a hurry. Now I'm paranoid. <laughs> I have two kids. I have these visions in my head that I'm going to slowly back out and they're going to run out to say something to me and something terrible is going to happen. And you might think, are you living in anxiety and fear? Like, is this what's happening all the time? Well, I wouldn't say that. What I would say 
is that God used that in my life to teach me wisdom. And this is what Solomon wants you to think about today. Now, I don't want you to think, I don't want you to become overwhelmed with anxiety as we talk about death today, but we avoid the subject like the plague. We either avoid it by trying to be as physically fit and healthy as we can so we can live forever, or we try not to ever talk about it and ignore it, or we trivialize it and make it into a joke or a game or a video game or something like that. And we, we joke about it. One time I was talking to my friend, and uh, I, I learned, again, another time death helped me to be wise. This is a good friend, long-time friends here. And uh, we're having coffee. We hadn't seen each other in a while. And I said... I had done something stupid, and I was like, man, I did this, and I'm like, oh. And I did the gun to the head thing like people will do. And my friend said, don't, don't do that. Don't do that. My brother Ben did that. Don't do that. I had forgotten his brother committed suicide by shooting himself. Man, did death make me wise there. So I don't do that anymore. I'm not, I want you to see that you're high schoolers and that Solomon writes actually to you. Because when you're young, you don't think about death that much. Sometimes you do. Some of you have been through really challenging situations. You've lost loved ones. Maybe you almost lost your own life. Maybe you've known someone really close to you who's died. And so you might have like a different perspective on death, and this might be kind of hard for you. Trust me, it's not going to be like this all week. But Scripture talks about this, and it's good for you to think about it. I don't want you to become a goth, okay? You don't need to like wear black and black nail file, you know, and, and go around thinking about death all the time. But avoiding death will not help you to be wise. So let's dive in to the text. First of all, death teaches us a number of things. First, it teaches us that where you end up is more important than where you begin. Where you end up is more important than where you begin. I didn't put the verse here. Sorry, this is going to cover verse 1. So if you're taking notes, this is all from verse 1. All right, so what does verse 1 say? A good name is better than precious ointment, and the day of death is better than the day of birth. Man, I think that Solomon, at least in chapter 7, I don't think Hallmark would hire him to write greeting cards. This is not like living your best life now, you know, you're good enough, smart enough, and people really like you. This is uh, pretty direct. Now, he's using a Hebrew form of poetry. When you think of poetry today, what do you think of? Someone just say something. Edgar Allan Poe. Yeah, Edgar Allan Poe. Okay, ooh, he's dark. I mean, it's, you know, <laughs> I can hear the thumping. Okay, uh, what else do you think of when you think of poetry? Dr. Seuss. Dr. Thank you. That's what I was actually hoping for. Who said that? You get two points. Good job. You can't do anything with the points I give you. My students know this, but hey, you got two points and no one else does. Oh, and you can't turn them in for the competition, sorry. But good job. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I think of Dr. Seuss as like the rhymy kind of poetry. You have to understand that Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, and then a lot of the, the um, prophetic books have a lot of Hebrew poetry. And Hebrew poetry doesn't really work like that. So just a little background here. Uh, the way Hebrew poetry works... And when, what Solomon's trying to do is he, he'll often write two lines in one little, we might call it like a, a, a poetic statement. Sometimes there's four to six, but often it's two. And the first line will make a statement, and then the second line does something that we call seconding. The second line will second 
The first line, it's really, I mean, if you want to be a scholar, just do this kind of stuff, and people will think, whoa. All right, now why do they say that? The second line will just play around with the idea. So it'll either compare it to something similar, it'll contrast it with something that's very different, it might continue the thought and add to it. It might just say the same thing in a different word so you catch the repetition. There's lots of ways this works. But to the Hebrew mind, they would have thought, ah, oh, I get it, it would stick in their mind. Today, we've got to rhyme it a little bit. We've got to make it kind of like a cliche of some sort. And then it sticks in our mind because English doesn't really rhyme naturally. And sometimes if we accidentally rhyme, we think that's really cool. So here, it's this poetry, but it's not going to try to rhyme. So let's talk about the poetry. A good name, a good name. It says, a good name is better. Well, what's a good name? There's a really great book. I love this book. It's called The Voyage of the Dawn Treader. Some of you have probably read it. C.S. Lewis is awesome, except in some small area, somewhat significant areas of theology, but a lot of his writing is really good. And the book opens up, there once was a boy named Eustace Clarence Scrub, and he almost deserved it. Oh, that's good. There once was a boy named Eustace Clarence Scrub, and he almost deserved it. The idea is that who wants to be named Eustace Clarence Scrub? That's a terrible name. <clears throat> and then, um, <clears throat> sorry, man, my throat. So you got Eustace. Maybe Now, if you're named Eustace today, I apologize. I think it's actually a cool name. All right. Uh, then has anyone ever seen what Elon Musk's son is named? <clears throat> have you heard about this? This is literally his son's name. You have this. You have an X. You have this letter. I don't remember what that's called. You have an A-12. That sounds like, I don't know. And then Musk is his last name. So when he went to name his son and to write the name on the birth certificate, on modern keyboards, there's no A-E letter. And so they were having a trouble like putting it on the birth certificate. And so they, they turned around and said, I don't think you can do this. And he protested. I can't remember how it ended. But would you like that to be your name? Like sometimes, some of you, and I'm not trying to pick on anybody, but some of you have names that you, you sort of wished your parents had picked something different. Or maybe the spelling. Uh, sometimes that can be challenging. Like you're always spelling your name. My, na my last name is Stearns. We didn't really have much choice here. But there's an A right in the middle. It's a silent A, and no one ever spells my last name right. So I'm always having to correct them. Maybe you feel like that. And so Musk, when he was asked about it, like, why are, are you just like, did, did you get a bunch of like Dungeons and Dragons dice with letters? You just like rolled a bunch, and then whatever it said, you did it. And so this is what he said. He says, he interviewed with Joe Rogan, and he said that his son's name is like this. He says, the X is just the letter X. The A-E is pronounced as Ash. And the A12 is my contribution, and it's just pronounced A12. Do you know what the A12 stands for? It's he and his wife's, wife's or fiance, I can't remember, favorite airplane, the A12. It's the precursor to, I believe, the SR-71 Blackbird, which is like a supersonic jet. He literally, A12. It'd be like naming your son F-14. You know, M1 Abrams. Like, wh what? And so then he says... Therefore, the final pronunciation of the name is X-Ash-A-12. X-Ash-A-12. What's up, X-Ash-A-12? See, I can't even say it. It's like a tongue twister. All right. So when you think of a good name, would you say this is a good name? Sorry, Elon. I probably not. But let me, let me just help you understand that that's not what Solomon's talking about. If you've read or ever read a genealogy in the Old Testament, those names are hard to pronounce. What Solomon is talking about is your reputation. 
A good name here, just write down that it equals your reputation. Solomon would have had a long life where he would have lived the way he wanted to. And he probably would have known people who, over time, developed a good reputation in the community. And he would have known others, especially as a king, who had poor reputations. And so when he says a good name, he's talking about that reputation. Now let's see what he compares it to. Fine ointment. Fine ointment. Interesting. Interesting. So like Burt's Bees hand cream, it's better to have a good reputation than to have like really good hand cream. Is that what's going on here? Well, the word ointment here is probably, it's hard to say. You know, like you're going back a couple thousand years and you're guessing. I think the best guess is it's like a cologne or a perfume. You would put ointment on and it would make you smell better. In this day and age, everyone stank. They didn't really smell good. They didn't have like bathing as regular as we do. I know that's hard for us to understand, but just give it like a couple of days here at senior high and you'll start to understand stink, okay? Some of you are looking at me like you don't understand. Just be honest. You know. You know that you don't want to go into a guy's cabin this week. You know that if you do, you're going to hold your nose. You can be honest. Let's be humble. So ointment was like this idea that you're improving your image. Now, in my day in high school, uh, we had something. It was a cologne that was very popular. It was called Tommy Hilfiger. And if I know, I was one of those. Someone, I'm not a cool kid, and someone of my relatives gave me Tommy Hilfiger. I don't know. And so I showed up at youth group, and someone smelled it, and they're like, is that Tommy? I'm like, yeah. <gasps> and so like everyone's getting it, and we're all like, you know. And so we go to this youth retreat where we're at a hotel, and it's like a hotel that has meeting rooms, and so we, we go down the meeting rooms for the events, and then we're like going out in the city and doing stuff. And in our room when we're getting ready, there's like six or eight of us guys, and like three or four of us had the cologne. And so we get ready, and we want to impress the ladies. And so we're like, shh, shh. But we really want to impress them. I mean, you know how when you put something on, like even if it's just hairspray or something, you can smell it for like how long? 10 seconds? 20, and then it's like it goes away. And I think we didn't understand that it didn't really go away. <laughs> we just, our nose had gotten used to it. So we like are covering ourselves with this stuff. And my youth leader, my youth pastor came in to say something and he about passed out. He walks in and he's like, whoa. <laughs> and we're like, what? <laughs> I mean, my bottle went from here to here that week. And I'm like, what? I don't know. <laughs> I don't even know what it costs. It was so stupid. So we... Now, you can, you can make fun of me, but if you have Axe body spray, you have no room to talk, okay? So you know what this is like. You put that stuff on because you don't want people to smell your stank, okay? And the idea is that when I go to be around other people, I want an image. I want like a, a reception that's okay. A lot of times guys don't really care about the hygiene thing until they realize that other people like like, I remember, like, one time someone walked up to me and said I stank in seventh grade. And then I was, like, ultra paranoid. And I'm like, the, the cologne and all that. Because we want our opinion, we want our image to be good. This would be, like, why you have to buy, oh, you're so kind. Thank you. Oh, there was one right there. No, there's another one. <sighs> Thank you, Chad. Everyone, let's give Chad a hand.
<laughs> he can play piano and he can make it so you don't have to listen to my horrible throat thing. So when you want to wear the right clothes so that your image is just right, that's going to be very similar to what Solomon's getting at with the ointment. When you need to have your hair a certain haircut, when you need to have a certain brand of shoes, when you have to have all those things that right now you're dealing with, that image you're presenting, Solomon is telling you, it's better for you to have a good reputation because that's coming from your character than to have an image that might be false. He's going to contrast this now with death and life. Now look at the second line here. He says, and the day of death, and it should say, like the idea is that's better than the day of birth. Man, this is weird. Why would it be better for you to die than to be born? Now sometimes people read this book and think Solomon hated life. Everything's vain. I wish I'd never been born. It's not what he's getting at. What did he just say in the first line? Because the first line, he's going further with it in the second line. It's better to have good character and good reputation than this nice public image. And it's better on the day of death to have that good character and reputation. In fact, it's better to have character and reputation at death than to have a really good birth circumstance. So consider two people. This person over here is born to a family that's a solid nuclear family. Both parents are educated. They've got excellent health care. They've got lots of money. They are able to attend really good schools. They have all the opportunities life can afford them. Now let's go as far over this way as we can, especially in our culture today. Okay, This person's conceived in rape. They're put in the foster system. They're in and out of homes. No one really cares about them. They don't have hardly any opportunities. You might think, I want to be this person. Solomon is saying, okay, there's differences here, but do you know what really matters? It's where these two people end. This person with all the opportunity, you ever heard of the rich kid who has all the niceties of life and then they die at like 45 years old as a meth addict? Solomon is saying it doesn't matter how you start if you end up with a bad reputation. And it doesn't matter if you have a bad start or a life that's not great at the beginning, but if you follow wisdom and have a good reputation, this is actually better. And it doesn't matter how you begin. Now, the cool thing is that today, maybe you haven't really begun your Christian life. Either you don't know the Lord, and that whole thing is weird. There's a bunch of Christians singing about this God they love. Okay, it doesn't matter if you didn't grow up in a Christian home. You can start this week. And Christians, there's some of you who have lived in your home and you're living for the image. You're living for happiness. You're living for fun. And you're living just to get the next thing that you think is going to fill the empty spot in your chest. But you're not willing to submit yourself to what you know is true about Christianity. Solomon is saying, you can start right now. It doesn't matter where you're at. It's where you end. That's the most important thing. All right, let's go to the next one because I'm seeing the clock and we got to move. Death's better than birth. We talked about that. All right, number two. This is for verses two, three, and four. Everybody gets a funeral. The wisdom of death teaches us that everybody gets a funeral, but not everybody gets a party. Everybody gets a funeral, but not everybody gets a party. Look at verse two. It's better to go into the house of mourning than the house of feasting. For this is the end of all mankind, and the living will lay it to heart. 
The house of mourning just means a funeral reception or like a funeral. So growing up, the weird thing that happened to me, I only went to, I think, two funerals my whole like, young life. So I hardly, I think I went to this one, I think it was both grandparents actually, and that was it. I never went to anyone else's funeral. My one grandparent died when I was kind of younger, and then the other one hung on for like two more years. Uh, one died of esophageal cancer, and the other one died of emphysema. They were both chain smokers. But that was all I experienced when it came to death and funerals. But man, I went and hung out with my friends all the time. Uh, we always had like movie night at, at friend's house. I didn't really do the party scene because I was scared to death of alcohol, which ended up serving me very well. Um, but we were always playing games. We were always hanging out. We were always doing the next fun thing. But I hardly ever thought about death and never went to a funeral. What Solomon is saying is it would have been better for me, going back in time, to be able to go to many funerals, to look at what's coming in the future, because he says the, this is the end of all mankind and the living will lay it to heart. Sorrow is better than laughter in verse 3, for by sadness of the face the heart is made glad. Now what he's not saying here is that sad times always make you happy. What he's saying is, have you ever had, um, you ever had a hard conversation with someone? Maybe they've had it with you at this point in your life. Maybe you've had it with them. It's not fun. You have to say things that you don't want to say. But in the end, maybe there were tears. Maybe you said things you didn't mean. Maybe they said things they didn't mean. But in the end, good came out of that. Have you ever had like an argument with your parents or your pastor or someone who's discipling you, and then in the end you realize you're wrong, and it ended up being a good thing in your life? Solomon is saying that being happy and having fun all the time doesn't always bring you to a point of growth where you see life for what it really is. What do we do in our world? We avoid sorrow like the plague. If we feel sad, we go play a video game. We get on social media. Stupid fly. Um, last week, this thing was a pain in my side. We, we try to distract ourselves from difficult conversations. We try to be nice. We try to like ignore that because it's so hard. Solomon is saying, if you think about how your life is, how short it is, and that there's an eternity coming, the hard conversations might be the best. And then in verse 4, it says, The heart of the wise is actually in the house of mourning, but the heart of the fools is in the house of mirth. Mirth is like party time, having fun, goofing off. So if you want to be wise, the wise person's actually thinking about the end of life. But if you want to be a fool, just live for now. YOLO. Do what you want. Have fun. Be excited. Let me tell you a story about the first time I ever read this. Um, my, my buddy's, my best friend's dad was having a routine surgery kind of thing. And so he's at the hospital. And so I went down, you know, my best friend's sitting there. And so I'll go and hang out with him. And it ended up being like 10 or 15 people from our church came. It wasn't a serious surgery. Like, he was fine. And so we're sitting there in waiting area, and I hadn't done my Bible reading yet. And so I, I don't know why I picked Ecclesiastes 7, but I read this. And I remember thinking, What? I should be thinking about death more than I should be thinking about having fun? That seems weird. Huh. And yet at the same time, it makes sense. Oh yeah, we're all going to die. We should actually be thinking about the end. Huh. About 10 or 15 minutes after I read that, one of the pastors had gone back to talk to a doctor, and he came out and he said, I need to make an announcement. Such and such has gone to be with his Savior. And we were all floored. Like we didn't, there was no, he wasn't going to die. Something had gone wrong and he had died on the table. And I literally just read this. Talk about not forgetting 
a passage of the Bible. Here is the example. I don't know when I'm going to die, but I know that I will. I should prepare for that. I should prepare for that. All right, and then thirdly, in verse 5 and 6, the wisdom of death teaches us that we should think seriously about our lives. It's better for a man to hear the rebuke of the wise than to hear the song of fools. For as the crackling of thorns under a pot, so is the laughter of fools. This also is vanity. I'm going to summarize this quick for the sake of time, but it's better for you to get called out by a wise, godly Christian. It's better for your youth pastor or your parent or anyone who's biblically wise to see something in your life and call you out on it. Hey, you know, you're pretty selfish. Hey, I love you, but you're totally arrogant. Hey, uh, are you really doing all the things you ought to? Is this what the Bible would say with the way you're living? Hey, you haven't been in church in a long time. Is that really what God wants? It's better for you to have a friend who's willing to do that than to just have some foolish friends who always want to go goof off and have fun. If you listen to any song on pop radio today, it's going to just talk about often having a good time, wanting to have a good time, just kicking back. You might say it like this. I I retranslated all these verses for fun, just for fun. If I retranslate this one, I'd say it's being called out by a wise person is better than foolish singing or gaming your day away. Foolish or binging a season of a show or gaming your day away. It's better for you to get called out. And then the last verse says, just like fire uh, is constantly crackling, like you hear a fire and it's crackle, 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 crackle. Well, that's like the fool. They're always looking for the next good time. It's not wrong to have fun. It's not wrong to have a good time. But if that's all you're living for, Solomon says you should really think about your death. All right, I got very few moments left here. I want to make this comment, though. It's only going to make you really biblically wise to think about death if you are adopting Solomon's worldview. What did Solomon believe about the universe? There's a God. That God's the maker of all of us. That God has a a law, a standard, a right and wrong, a morality that we all know about because he built it into us. And that God has communicated to us that if we sin, and we break that law, we already know inside of us we need to be judged. And we know that that judgment is death. This would have been the worldview that Solomon would have had. Today, though, you might be over here. There's no God. This is all an evolved accident. There was a big, humongous explosion, and as the universe cooled, hey, planets coalesced, and then there was like some microbes that formed, and then it evolved, and the next thing you know, we got these people. I just want you to understand that if you're over here, you have a good reason to understand that there's right and wrong. It's because there's a person who told us what right and wrong is and designed it into the world. If you're over here, you literally have no way to say anything is objectively and universally correct or incorrect, right and wrong in a moral sense. If a tiger kills a tiger, like you go to a zoo, okay, you go to the zoo, and you see the tiger, and the craziest thing happens, this tiger right in front of you kills another tiger. Do you know what doesn't happen? Police don't show up and arrest the living tiger. Because the tiger killed. It didn't murder. Murder is a moral statement. But if I'm an accident of evolution, if I'm like a machine made of meat 
then my brain is just a chemical program like a computer, and I'm experiencing this, but there's, it's not actually a real thing. If this is true, then in five billion years, what will it really matter how I lived? If I killed people, if I didn't, if I was kind, if I wasn't, it won't matter because you know what happens in five billion years? The sun expands in its size to being a red giant and it swallows all the inner planets, including Earth. No humans will be left. In this worldview, you can't say thinking about death makes you wise because you're going to die and what you do now doesn't matter. But if, if Solomon's right, if there is a creator, if that God did give you a conscience that's been haranguing you for years, if that is a true eternal standard, if there really is a God who loved the creation made in his image and came down and died for you, then thinking about death is the best thing you can do. The absolute best thing you can do. Say no to games and talk to a counselor. Say no to the climbing wall and grab someone in program. Talk to anyone on the camp about your death because that will actually produce really good stuff in the next conversation. This week we're going to be talking about the gospel. If this is true... The gospel is of no effect. It doesn't matter. Live how you want, for tomorrow you die. But if this is true, you need something called the gospel. You need someone who can take care of your sin. All right, we're going to have uh, questions every day, and I'm going to always give you a recommended resource to read. All right? So I can't let you walk away with saying, without you like having something to take with you from a book angle. I, I really like books. And so... I want you, these are the questions I want you to consider sometime throughout the day, all right? And your leaders should have these written down if you don't write them down. First one, why is it so difficult to think about life on the whole and not just the present moment? Why is it so hard for us to think about our whole life? Why are we always thinking about right now? It seems very natural, and it seems very unnatural to think about what's happening in 50 years. Why is that so challenging for us as humans? All right, number two, what's so scary about thinking or talking about death? Why do you think people avoid the subject? I know people who, when death comes up, they just quit the conversation. They get the heebie-jeebies. They hate hospitals. They never want to go to them. They don't ever go to funerals because they don't like to think about it. Why? Why is that so hard? It's, if death is a part of life, why is it so hard for us to talk about that? And then number three, have you ever experienced a near-death experience? Now, I'm not talking like you saw the light and you went down the tunnel. I'm not saying that. But have you ever had a situation where you almost died? What was that like? Has anyone close to you ever died? If you've had those experiences, did they do anything to change your perspective on life? One time I was, uh, and then we'll, this is almost done. You ever, like, you park your car and there's like a stone wall that, like, is the border to where you park? We're up in Duluth, Gooseberry Falls, I think. We were looking at this lighthouse. And I was like 10. And there's this brick wall. And then there's a break, and you can walk over to the lighthouse. And so we park, and my mom and dad and my brother go that way, and I'm going to beat them. So I run up, and I go to hop over the wall. And I'm trying to get over and sprint before my mom can turn around and say, Andy, and like get, into my, get mad at me for doing the wrong thing. And so I'm literally hanging on this wall, trying to put my foot down. And I, and I got this like voice in my head saying, you're going to get in big trouble. Don't do this. So I hop off and I go that way. So I walk over here, you know, and as I go past the wall, I notice 
that the walkway is made of wood because it's a bridge. And I look, and on the other side of that little four-foot wall was a 30-foot drop. I mean, it was a moment. Have you ever had that? I was like seven or eight, and it didn't really do a lot. The older you get, the more that might affect you. So I want you to talk about those things. And then if you want a resource about this, there's a book called The Stranger on the Road to Emmaus. And that will talk to you about all kinds of issues that relate to life and death and eternity, and it will help you in your, in your learning about God. Or if you're a believer, I think it would even help you with your walk with God. So let's go ahead and pray, and then Pastor Phil will be up and we'll have some instructions. Father, we love you. God, thank you for today, Lord. Thank you for this subject. It is deep, it is heavy, it's a challenge to think about this. It can make us uncomfortable. Father, I pray that uh, you would do work today. I pray that you would do work in the hearts and souls of these people. I pray, Lord, that thinking about death uh, would, even though it's scary and uncomfortable, God, I pray that it would do a good work this week in our hearts and our minds. Father, I pray that you give us wisdom. I pray for us to be kind to one another. I pray that we would enjoy this week. Father, thank you that you're a loving and a merciful God. In your son's name we pray, amen.